Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey MFA Lover Knockreiner. What? I, can you, can uh, you tell you me what that out, acronym is for? <laughs> I have an alternate acronym for it, but it's not for sensitive ears. We have to keep <laughs> our child safe rating on these podcast spitters, whatever you call them. Great. Well, on today's uh, MFA episode... We're going to be diving into quite a few vulnerabilities disclosed in a, a widely popular workstation and server platform, as well as a widely popular email MTA agent. And then we will end up with... What's, what's the MTA, Mark? That's another one. Yeah. Oh, man. Maybe we'll just make an episode all on acronyms. Uh, but for this one, <laughs> let's go ahead and get started with the news. No diving, no sauntering. Maybe we can swim on in. Just starting. <laughs> So let's start out with uh, last week, some research from Sentinel-1, where they released a coordinated disclosure alongside a patch from Dell for a 12-year-old vulnerability in Dell's firmware update driver that uh, they estimate impacts over, uh, they put in the range of hundreds of millions of devices, which makes sense. Makes sense. Dell's a massive company. They've had a lot of sales in the last 12 years, so, and this has basically existed since 2009. I think they said. Let, let, let me ask you, I, I, what do you think of these? Uh, I, I tend to see it more in the articles and the advisories about a 12-year-old vulnerability in that there's a lot of software out there that's existed for a long time. And technically, anytime you find a flaw, it's going to be however old it is based on. It doesn't necessarily mean, I, I mean, the reason they like to do that is obviously it's been sitting there available for black hats for 12 years. But it was also complex enough to take 12 years to find. So yeah. I'm just I'm just curious. I think it's funny that a lot of articles talk about that because it's like a given. Yeah, if you find a new flaw in software that's been around for 20 years, the new flaw is going to be that old. Duh. <laughs> Correct. Yes. The, the one counterpoint is there is sometimes, you know, a recent uh, change will introduce a flaw like that happened recently with uh, WordPress, actually. Um, with their handling of XML RPC calls. They made one change relatively recently that kind of undid a external entity's flaw. But yeah, in general, you're right. Like, yeah. especially with this, it, it's a driver. In, in other words, it, it suggests that the flaw is in the core part of the code that hasn't changed yes. and not in some updated thing that they're touching every day. Exactly. Or, or very regularly. Um, and in this particular one, we'll get into the details in a bit. But like you mentioned, you know, it's been uh, difficult or complex enough that it hasn't been detected. But like this one, I like, in all honesty, it's not actually that complex or insane. It's just no one bothered oh, to no, look, it's, I guess. It's actually, you're, you're right. When we think about the, the very basic security mechanism this lacks when we get into it, it is relatively yeah. basic. Uh, so this uh, vulnerability, or I guess it's a series of vulnerabilities, uh, impacted driver that came packaged in firmware updates and several Dell update utilities. Uh, anyone that's a Dell admin will probably familiar with the names Dell Command Update or Dell Update or even Alienware Update since they bought them, uh, Dell System Inventory Agent, and Dell Platform Tags. Um, Basically, there's a vulnerable driver that all of those utilities and firmware packages come with that Dell uses as a part of the firmware upgrade. Um, And the first time you run it, it dumps it in the temp directory on the computer and then uses that for additional firmware updates in the future. Uh, the vulnerabilities include four privilege escalation flaws and one denial service code logic issue in it. And the privilege escalation flaws are 
um, uh, pretty, I don't know, not damning, but pretty dang easy to exploit if you were to happen to find them. Uh, they basically all stem from the driver accepting input and output control. It's called IOCTL requests without any user account or group permissions ACL. Basically, any no, process no access control list, anything can 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 request input and output control. Yeah, any process or user, regardless of their privilege level, can communicate with this driver. And usually, drivers restrict access to specific groups or users, like administrators uh, or specific processes. But without any ACL, it means that any unprivileged process can use any of the functions built into the driver. And because it is a driver those functions operate at kernel level permissions, which is like as high as you can get on a Windows computer. Yeah. Um, so it's a very bad local elevation of privilege, right? But it still has to be local. I mean, right, don't you have to have malware or a process or a person sitting on that computer to to exploit it. Exactly. This is different from like other classes of vulnerabilities like, you know, Blue Keep and those where they exploit a network service where as long as that's exposed, you can hit it. This is basically if you already have access to a Dell computer, in this case, running Windows, uh, and it's unprivileged access, you can gain kernel level access on the computer by exploiting these. But, but still a big deal locally. You can literally be the lowest privileged guest account and get all the way to, to system kernel level access. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one of the flaws, for example, um, exploits the fact that the uh, the driver uses the function mem move, which is a way that uh, an attacker could exploit that to basically arbitrarily read or write to any memory location on the computer. Uh, in the disclosure, they gave an example of this where basically you can rewrite the permissions flags for other processes to basically give them root level permissions on the computer. Um, they also uh, show that the driver exposes IO instructions uh, to storage devices, meaning you could exploit this to basically arbitrarily write to any sector on the storage drive, bypassing a lot of actual like IO utilities on it too. That one's a bit more difficult to actually exploit without breaking the file system, you'd have to have pretty intimate knowledge of how that specific computer's file system is saved on the hard drive, but it is still a pretty serious flaw in that case. Um, but basically, if you've managed a Dell or Alienware workstation or tablet, and you've done a firmware update in the last 12 years, you probably have this driver installed and need to follow Dell's guidance on uninstalling it. Uh, they did a pretty good job in their own knowledge base article of detailing exactly every step you have to do. Uh, first one is going and basically removing this old driver file from the computer. Uh, so they've got a utility in their KB that you can run that'll take care of it for you. Uh, I noticed actually on a Reddit post on r slash sysadmin, there were quite a few issues with running that utility silently, which is kind of annoying if you're a systems administrator, um, but you can find some workarounds there. Or you can do it yourself. Just check C Windows temp or the app data local temp directory for every user on the computer and look for a file called dbutil underscore two underscore three dot sys and delete it. And then second, to prevent it from being added again, you have to run a remediated firmware update package or any of those Dell utilities, which will basically reinstall the new driver on the computer at that point. So I thought it was interesting, like, it these utility packages they dump it into the temp directory 
which I guess it's pretty common for unpackagers to periodically unload stuff into that directory and load it up from there. Um, but it also means that, I mean, theoretically, could some other form of malware just take this old driver and stick it right back in that temp directory, and the next time the updater runs, it'll execute that? Seems possible. I was going to ask you more, though, I, while you just said all the mitigations they, they publish for now, I seem to remember they said something about May 10th, there's going to be an actual patch. So I'm curious if if that release will somehow fix it in a more complete way that's less manual and maybe will stop what you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it seems if it's literally just a driver in a temp directory, can you put it back? <laughs> And I, I presume the Dell subsystem would still load it if it showed up again. Although I guess that is the question. Yeah. Uh, yes, they did mention May 10th. They did, haven't really released any details yet, but they'll be putting out a update utility, I guess, that theoretically yeah. will close all the rest of the gaps. Or who knows, maybe it just automates this a little. But uh, I would say, you know, besides doing the mitigation now, wait to see what happens May 10th to see if it's a more perfect fix in fact yep. maybe they'll keep this utility this this db util to to four there it will just be a fixed version i have a feeling though there's going to be a lot of dell administrators very upset this week of having to go through each of their computers attempting to delete this file and update yeah, this do a is, firmware update now does not seem like it's the easy type of deployment patch yeah. Luckily, I'm not a Dell fan, although I have to admit I do have a gaming computer, and I, I think you said it before, Alienware can be affected by this. So all you Alienware users uh, might have to do some, yeah. some mitigations. And luckily, like you mentioned, like it basically this type of vulnerability just makes a attack worse. It isn't something that enables like code execution on its own. It's basically once they've already established themselves on the host, it makes them have yeah. additional uh, privileges, which is bad, but I, it's not as yes. bad as like a remote code execution flaw. To put it a different way, this is still severe enough that as a personal computer user, I want to fix it. it. It's just nice to know that people can't just pop it on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> not, not yet. So pretty bad day for Dell there, uh, but at least they did coordinated disclosure and uh, They've got it all, a good guide on how to actually fix it. Make sure you check out Dell's KB on how to do that. Uh, it's not the only vulnerability story from last week, too. Uh, this one, next one's a bit nuts, too, just in sheer volume of issues disclosed all at once. So last week, Qualys published a coordinated disclosure of 21 vulnerabilities in the popular mail transfer agent software, Exim. Uh, which, according to some surveys, 60% of internet mail servers use. It's massively popular. Like Our team uses it for some of our sandboxing mail servers. I remember the old, now end-of-life uh, WatchGuard XCS product use XM internally as well. Uh, so really popular, just Linux-based mail server that just had yeah, 21 vulnerabilities patched. It's probably like, like Pop Pop Cory days. It was SendMail and PostFix were the big Linux or Unix-like servers, but it seems pretty clear Exum is the new king on the block for, for open source Linux MTAs. Is that, would you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. And when it comes to flaws in mail software, like it can be pretty serious. Like they're in a pretty unique position where they generally have to be exposed to the internet to facilitate receiving mail from external sources. And they handle sensitive data, like 
email messages, meaning that like if you chain the right amount of vulnerabilities, you're going to have a really bad day and cause a lot of damages on one of these servers. Um, of the 21 vulnerabilities that Qualys discovered, 10 of them can be exploited remotely, and then some of those can be chained together to give full remote unauthentic unauthenticated code execution and gain root privileges on the XM server. Uh, it does take a, a chain of pretty sophisticated vulnerabilities, and Qualys hasn't released the proof of concept code for some of the bigger ones on it, just a short description of what they do. Um, but... But but they showed it. I, I think you'll get into it in a second. And uh, of the remote ones, it may not be clear that any of the remote ones are immediate root. But you just combine one of the big remote ones with one of the 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 decent local ones. By the way, the local ones very similar to the one we just talked about, and it goes from unprivileged user to full root. So you just need to know two of these flaws really: one local, one remote, and pow, you've popped a XM server. Exactly. So basically, XM runs with a few different user permissions. There's an XM user that's unprivileged uh, that typically handles most of the mail flow. But then there is some elevated privilege, basically root access given to the server for various functions as well. And some of the flaws target uh, give you the ability to execute commands as that unprivileged user. But then some of the other flaws let you elevate your privileges through some actually pretty interesting ways uh, that we'll get into. Um, but for example, like one of the flaws and that some of them include like a integer overflow, there's a buffer overflow, there's a use after free, basically different ways to potentially gain code execution on the server. I guess use after free is a type of vulnerability we haven't they, talked they're about. They're all memory longer. corruption, right? Yeah. I mean, use after free is still memory corruption. And I think we've generally covered memory corruption. Long story short, if you can corrupt memory you, you, and you, you get into address space you're not supposed to be, there's potential, not guaranteed, but potential that you can leverage that area in address space to slide right onto the stack pointer. And once you're at the stack pointer, you have control of the next instruction. Yeah. In general, like it's you can easily crash the application, at least with these, because you're oh, very much. the flow of what it's <laughs> expecting. That's a good sign that there's a potential memory issue in it. Um, and then you just have to get crafty, usually with like chaining gadgets built into it in order to gain control of the pointer and then do whatever you want within the application. It's funny. Some memory corruptions can get you to that stack pointer very quickly and you can clean up after yourself and keep a stable system. But there's some where even exploitability is 30% of the time because you're messing up. I wanted to say a bad word, but I'll just say messing up memory so much in your wake to try to get to where you want to be that this, the system just becomes too unstable. Yeah, exactly. Um, once you've gained ability to execute commands as the unprivileged XM user, though, you can pretty easily elevate your privileges. Uh, since many of their functions run as root, they showed one attack where it's a link attack vulnerability in the uh, XM's log directory, where basically you could symlink a file like etsy passwd uh, to a log file in that directory, and then have XM write out a log to that symlinked file. Uh, which it does with its root permissions. So in this case, it would have the permissions to access at CWD and append something. And in their example, they had it append a new user account and a password hash with a UID of zero, which is root. So this is a pretty easy way of creating a brand new root user on it. And then you can just log right in with that user and gain uh, root level privileges on that system. 
Uh, they had several similar similar vulnerabilities in its spool directory. Uh, there were some stack overflows. Uh, there was a flaw that let them take ownership of arbitrary files like Etsy passwd. So you can just take ownership of it and then write whatever you want to it, like a new privileged user account. They had an arbitrary file deletion vulnerability for any local user. So if you had access to the mail server, unprivileged access, you could abuse this flaw and delete whatever the heck you wanted. Um, those ones can be pretty scary and uh, just screwing up a server. Um, but 10 of the flaws, so the, the disclosure timeline for this one was interesting. So 10 of the flaws they first discovered and disclosed to XM back in October of 2020. And then they found 10 more and disclosed those a few weeks later. Um, at some point at, towards the end of last year, XM actually gave Qualys' team read permissions on their code repository to help review patches. Um, but it was taking them quite a while to write the actual patches for these, at the time, 20 flaws. So in late January, Qualys actually offered to help write some of the incomplete and missing patches. And while writing a patch for one of them, they actually found the 21st vulnerability then and submitted it to XM. It wasn't until February of this year, so October, November, December, January, February, four months later, where uh, Qualys had submitted their last patch proposals. And then it wasn't until mid-April where uh, XM proposed the coordinated release date of May 4th. So it was a, I mean, it was a lot of vulnerabilities, but it's still a pretty long time to get these resolved. I'm not surprised, though, and I actually give, one, great research from Qualys, great responsible disclosure, but but I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, I, we've talked about this before, Mark, is open source more secure because everyone can see the code? I think a lot of people don't realize how small open source projects can be. You know, there was the one OpenSSL, or I, I always forget this every podcast if it was OpenSSL or OpenSSH, but where that maintainer said he could simply not keep up and guarantee the security of OpenSSL, and, and it took a community effort to get him funds and people to, to do it. If you look at the credits for XM, this is the type of program that was written by one guy originally, Philip Hazel, and right now the development team for this GNU licensed thing is, I don't know, a handful of 10 people. And and who knows if these 10 people are, are full-time XM folks or just people that contribute. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's Because fair. it is a, a, a public licensed thing. So while the timeline, you know, obviously you want to see any organization that makes software fix things as fast as possible, I think we put a... You know, and if if this were a vendor that's making money from their product, quite clearly, uh, you'd definitely want to put pressure. But I think we kind of over-assume how big open source projects are. So maybe it just took a long time to fix 21 different things that may seem simple, but you had to change core functionality. If, uh, you know, if XM relied on, uh, you know, something with symlinking, making that change could have cascaded and having to change a lot of ways they do stuff. So anyways, it definitely a long time. I, I don't want to say people should take their time to fix things, but I'm kind of, uh, I just wanted to point out that a lot of us uh, don't realize how small some of the open source projects are, even though they're really widely used packages. Yeah, that's fair. There's actually like in the JavaScript open source project world, there's a really popular package called, I think it's core JS 
which is basically it was designed to backport a lot of new JavaScript features from like newer versions of the the engine to work in older browsers that didn't support that. And it was actually developed by a single guy who went to jail for like a year. <laughs> and over that year, it had no maintenance yeah. and like no real like no one Where's else. the patches? This thing's used by millions of projects and there was no one else capable of pushing updates to it while this guy was in jail. And no judgment, but uh, you're also trusting something from a guy that apparently went to jail for some reason. Correct, yes. I mean, that opens up a whole nother can of worms of, you know, potential supply chain attacks. That said, like, people can go to jail for anything, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's why I said no judgment. It yeah. could be something silly, but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, perfect example. Anyways, I, really good work from Qualys and, and ultimately good work for XM for fixing them. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there is a re- It seems like they did cooperate very closely with Qualys during the long period of time. Yeah, and props to Qualys for giving up some development time of actually helping them write some of these patches yeah. too to like ensure that he get this fixed. It's kind of cool. They they make products that help us find vulnerable unpatched systems, but they're also disclosing and helping patch new vulnerabilities. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I know we updated our server, so make sure that if you guys are running an XM server, you do the same as well. Um, I guess before we sign off, there's some other interesting news. So last May, it was May 6th. So it would have been last, what is it, Thursday? Today, as we're recording this, it was actually World Password Day, uh, which, you know, I, I have my own opinions on these whole World Day, National Whatever Day. Like, they're, I, I tend to think they're kind of dumb. But when it comes to Password Day, like, it does actually tend to be a day where a lot of organizations help push good password practices and knowledge to users. So I guess I'm on board with that. But Google celebrated by publishing a blog post uh, where they described their goal of a future without passwords and some of their first steps towards that goal. And one of those steps is now they're going to start automatically enrolling Google accounts into step verification if they're appropriately configured. Basically meaning if your account is paired with an Android phone or an iOS device that has the smart lock app installed, Uh, they will start enrolling you in 2FA automatically, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Like one of the issues with MFA, I feel like is just getting people used to using multi-factor authentication, like used to unlocking their phone and clicking that approve button and anything to kind of normalize that and get people used to doing it. In this case with Google accounts is good as a whole for authentication security. What are your thoughts? I absolutely agree, but I'm kind of offended you're making Google saying this as the news for the day instead of the articles that uh, we I, I got credit for. Uh, we celebrated Password Security Day, but uh, the quotes we sent out and are published in a few places, uh, I said I believe that a world MFA day would be more powerful and effective than like password that. security, even though we did end up giving some password tips too because they do continue to become a token, even with MFA. So anyways, I think I couldn't agree more. I'm saying the same thing. Uh, you should follow good password practices with a password manager to help you out. But ultimately, it's only because you still have to use it as one of the tokens in MFA, and MFA should be the real solution. Maybe we should really start driving for an initiative to make like, I don't know, May 7th MFA day. So password day can still have its, you know, it's fun. <laughs> and then the next day is the actual important one where we actually protect against authentication attacks. 
That's a good that good idea too. Although I ended this quote with, so let's make World MFA Day a reality in 2021. So well, I, I guess we failed for 21. Maybe it should have said 2022. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Well, at least push for it then. What should we, what should our hashtag be? Hashtag MFA Day, May 5, <laughs> May 6, May 7, whatever. Yeah, I like May 7th. Let the people talk about passwords and give them the real answer the next day. <laughs> good plan anyways good on google and i agree with you by the way it's the the two things with mfa one it's getting people used to it i think as people me and mark do use mfa every single day you know we kind of can't help but using it and once you get used to it the 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 friction goes away i mean we i almost always have my phone in my pocket or right next to me I don't even notice the fact that I'm I'm doing the MFA now. And the second thing is the type of MFA, the type of solution can really ease some of the friction. You know, I still have to enter a second code when I'm using other people's MFA solutions. Like if it's a website that I have to use theirs, but when I'm using our MFA solution, that push authentication where I just get a pop-up in my phone and I say approve after making sure it really is me. Uh, that's so easy. I don't think about it now. So, you know, if you've heard MFA is hard, if you heard that users just don't like it, maybe that's true. Maybe they'll go through a week of, of grumpily complaining. But I think after that week, it had just become part of the normal process and you stop thinking about it. Yeah. And maybe by May 7th of 2022 now, we'll be celebrating MFA Day where all of our users are finally using it. Yep. That's a good plan. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at X-O-R-R-O underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.